This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated, all the way from the uh, northeast to the southwest. It's America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on mobile, or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen, um, who doesn't even come up to the hood of the truck that we'll be talking about later. No, it's embarrassing. I can't see over it at all. The hood? <laughs> Of the heavy-duty truck that I drove to the radio station today is taller than Jen. Yep, it is. Have you ever had that before? No. I'm a horrible boss, aren't I? Mm, just love you. <laughs> Kisses. <laughs> I'm making Jen feel very... It was, I wasn't, very small. I, this wasn't about... <laughs> very small. This wasn't about... You know, making you uncomfortable. I'm not. This was about talking about how big the truck was. I know. You know. Yeah, it's all good. Case. All right, just just letting you know. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, we we it was touch and go that we would actually be on the air this morning because uh, they decided to do construction a couple of floors above us, or maybe one floor. Yeah, the fourth floor. There's only one floor above us. Yeah. And we came in, and there was like dust sprinkles coming out of the ceiling. My monitor the, was shifting the off the table. The, the <laughs> desk was moving. We're like, uh, hi, is this going to be like this during our live broadcast? Is this going to be, no, but they, uh, Jordan got on the phone and screamed at a few people and stamped his feet and it Totally stopped. took care of yeah. it. Yeah. Thank like, you. I hope there's not, I hope he hadn't have to take care of a guy, you know, in the mafia kind of way. Oh. Upstairs. Anyway, well, what's on today's show? <laughs> Let's get the car stuff. It's a car show. We got lots of cool stuff going on, Nick. Lots of stuff on today's show. Uh, today is the monumental show, the big show in the year where we name our 2020 winners of what is the best car, SUV, and truck of the year. That's it. We're going to have those people on. We've, uh, we've sorted through uh, all the ballots, and the winners are in. Is there ballots? What? Is there ballots? Are they real no, like ballots? Voting, uh, no, ballots? It, no, it's more like a smashing of the brains. Okay. But, yeah. Meeting of the minds. That's what happened to my brain. I knew something had been smashed. <laughs> anyway, so we'll have those on today's show. Um, we will be talking about CES, uh, which, you know, is gone now. It's over. Right. But there was some significant stuff at CES, which was super interesting. And uh, James Cameron was there from Avatar movies. I know. Yeah. I heard about this. I can't pictures. wait. Uh, so we, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about... Uh, What's going on in finances with Anton Woolman and his take on the CES cars? And, uh, and we can talk a little bit about the vehicles that we've been test driving because you all want to know. One of them, of course, is the Chevy Silverado HD 2500 Duramax, bigger than Jen. And then uh, the other one is the, uh, the Hellcat. That was um, my favorite. The, the Hellcat was your favorite? Oh, yeah. 707 horsepower, uh, yes. red key only. Yeah. The trouble is, here's the problem, folks. The trouble is, 
that is not a really good wet weather car. No. It, it drives fine in the wet weather. But those back wheels slip more than they should. So, <laughs> dear Dodge, please send new set of tires to our auto expert care of the radio station. Did you, um, you want to tell them why? Why what? Why new tires? Oh, because I did burnouts in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, donuts in the donuts parking lot. The, Nick was explaining how to do a pit maneuver. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't try this at home. <laughs> uh, so when we left the show uh, last week, um, it was the, the parking lot isn't really big enough to uh-uh. do donuts in, but we managed. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. We managed to get donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> Dear radio station, <laughs> the marks in your parking lot are nothing to do with us. Love our auto expert, Nick and Jen. Put Enjoy. me in it. I was just a passenger. <laughs> but uh, I did ask him to do it again. So. It's like a crime. If you were there during the commission of a I crime, know, you're right? as guilty as the person that actually like, committed it. Do it again. Like a little kid. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. And pulling out of the parking lot was even more fun. And I could see over the hood. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a sedan. It would be pretty scary if you couldn't. Uh, I don't there. What is the highest hood in a sedan? It's probably no more than four feet. Yeah, I would I'm think. sure. Uh, so that that was fun. And then the Acura MDX, which is actually an interesting vehicle. So Acura have the best-selling third-row luxury SUV in America of all time, of all time. And they have done a really good job with this vehicle. Um, I think they've got to be careful it doesn't get long in the tooth because it's been on top for so long. Uh, they really need to do sort of some major refresh and updates to it. Um, it, it doesn't feel old, but I can see that could be a problem, getting to it looking old. Yes, it's got um, it's got that very comfortable look. Yeah, you know? it is it is comfortable. Their, yeah. their paint system that they do on the exterior of the Acuras, they they got it nailed down. Mm-hmm. I thought Mazda were the ones that had it nailed down with their reds, and they had all these. They had to invent these special paint nozzles at Mazda to make all of the flecks in uh, metallic paints lie in the same direction. So all the flecks, you can walk around a car and it changes looks. Uh, but Acura, whatever Acura are doing, they, they have something uh, like a PMG pigment thing. Whatever they're doing, it's uh, it's pretty awesome because it it look the cars the colors of their cars, especially the reds and the blues. Holy moly! Yeah, and you know they only have six colors to choose from from a standard. Do they really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Did you look on the website? I'm just smart like that. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Anyways, yeah, they're, they're you all know, nice. Yeah, um, they're nice, but they're, this is your standard colors. Does I know people like uh, I think sixty percent of cars in America are black, white. And then silver or versions of the same. Yeah. Two colors, grays, whatever. Mm-hmm. 60%. I own Maybe two black more. cars. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. I have a black. My Lexus is black. It's a pain. Oh, to my clean. Mini's black, too. I have yeah. two. I guess it has a red hood, a red roof, though. Yeah. Does that count? If you want it's it to. It's black and red. You're Nick Miles. You but my, my truck is red, bright red. Bright and fire my, engine. And my red. truck is like teal, turquoise, blue. It's like yeah. a Who thought, who Is that a girl thing? No, I think it was a 90s thing. (laughs) But that's one of my favorite Hey, does it come in teal? Yeah, I want it. I want it. (laughs) I'll buy it if it comes in teal. I'm not sure that's My Saturn was teal. Was it really? Yes. A lot of Saturns were teal. They were teal or beige. Ugh, yeah. They must have got the color cheap somewhere. Canon. That was the that was the day. Canon. That was the days that color, you know, like. uh, um, Was fun. There was was bright colors, greens, oranges. You know what's going to be really bright, though? You. The rest of the show. <laughs>
Good trade, just got a read. <laughs> uh, the rest of the show, uh, we're going to talk about what is our 2020 car deal. We're coming up in our Auto Expert. You're listening to our Auto Expert. So there are a lot of vehicles that uh, tend to get nominated for car, truck, and SUV. It's a, it's a complicated process to go through them. Uh, we, we have rules. We have to evaluate them. We have to drive them. We have to test them. Uh, a lot of these vehicles I've been on the launch of this year. So let's talk about a few of the vehicles that uh, came close but didn't take uh, the biscuit, as it would. Um, the... Lincoln Aviator, great piece of machinery. Lincoln are doing really well with their vehicles. Um, they have got really textual insides, beautiful leathers, lots of really advanced tech features, and you now use phone as a key. They have, the, it feels like you're riding on air. That's one of the things that they do. Um, it's, it's just a nice vehicle. It's well-priced. They have a plug-in hybrid version that uh, gets, I think, 400 horsepower. It's outstanding. So they've done a really, really good, good job of vehicles. Have you noticed the improvement, Jen, in Lincolns over the last five, ten years? Yeah, they've I really, have. Come, they've really come forward, right? Yeah, they're not as stuffy or doctor-esque as right. I would call them. Right. They used to be sort of a very big premium car brand. I mean, there was new vehicles this year, also like the Ford Explorer. Um, there was uh, the Mazda CX-30. Um, along with the Cadillac XT6, that was interesting. The uh, the Hyundai Venue, which I'm going to Florida to drive next week, and uh, Lincoln Corsair. Lincoln Corsair was one of my favorite vehicles this year. Uh, we're still waiting for the new Ford Bronco, by the way. That still hasn't appeared. Baby uh, Bronco. The, the Baby Bronco and the Land Rover Defender. That's on its way. The new Aston Martin DBX. That's mm -hmm. on its way as well. So uh, once we went through all these vehicles and we evaluated them, we looked at them. We were trying to choose our best SUV of the year. And it, it's interesting that this was nominated um, for quite a few people's SUV of the year. But um, the one thing that immediately jumps out is the price point of this vehicle, which I'm about to name in a second. The price point is unbelievable, but it's also what you get for that price point. Three rows. Um, I would call it verging on luxury. Officially, it's not a luxury vehicle, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, it tows, it hauls, it's easy to drive, it's easy to use, it's great. Well, so we, we drove this at Run to the Sun. Yes, we did. Yeah. And the color palette, too. I can't get past mentioning that. They've chosen really good colors. And it's American built, too. Right. I just you're right it, on the price point. It's, I it's, mean, they're right there. It's it's built in uh, in Georgia. So, uh, that's great. So, our 2020 uh, SUV of the year is the Kia Telluride. And joining us on the phone, James Bell from Kia. Um, congratulations. This is definitely a vehicle uh, James worthy of taking home the trophy of our vehicle of the year. Uh, Nick, I'm just a little disappointed that I didn't have my trumpet ready for that big moment. <laughs> Fantastic. It is. You know, one thing I love about James is he's only, probably the only person in the world that has as warped sense of humor as I do. Um, because, <laughs> well, we get along, my friend. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, far be it from us to, to carry uh, the single uh, trumpet for this vehicle, but it's getting tons of tons of accolades from people. It has been, well... As an employee of Kia Motors, I can say it's been a lot of fun. But as a student of the auto industry like you are, Nick, it is amazing. It, there's every now and then a vehicle, I like to, you know, it captures, it captures magic in a bottle. It 
captures the lightning. And and we can think of certain vehicles that have come along the, uh, over the last decades that have done that. And I think it, when the history books are written, you're going to have to say that the Kia Telluride, now let's think about that, a Korean manufacturer designing, building, and selling a vehicle just for the U.S. and knocking the American and European manufacturers right in the teeth uh, in, in the segment that they've done so much uh, great work in. Yeah. It is really a stunning transitional point in the business. And again, I know, I know I work for Kia, but putting that aside, it is a, it's a pretty stunning achievement just within the auto industry. So uh, it, it's been a heck of a lot of a fun, I can tell you. And I think consumers have responded with this too, because I know that several of my co-anchors at different TV stations around the country yes. have been trying to buy them. And, and they're like, they're being told, you know, so uh, Aileen Cox, who is the producer of the morning show at WGN, she tried to buy yeah. one and she had to basically drive, I don't know, what uh, an hour outside of Chicago to get one because yeah. they were just, and that's Chicago, Southern California, good luck. There's like a two month waiting list for these. Oh, longer than that, actually. And, and I know that we're here to promote and talk about the vehicle, but I'm going to put a little cold water onto it. We inside Kia, as employees, are not allowed to order one because <laughs> they're just my, – my wife is beating me up every day. Oh, the Telluride, I, you know, it's wonderful. It would be perfect for our family. Right. Yes, it would. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it, it is oversold, but I can assure all your listeners that we are working desperately hard to increase production. We're trying to catch it up to where the market is. But as of right now, um, we seem to have slipped into the Ferrari model of uh, building one less than the market demand. That's <laughs> just, not on purpose, it's a good, but it, that's the way it's worked out. It's, been, it's actually a good way to be, I think, when you do that, which is cool. But uh, So let's talk a little bit about the mold that yeah. got broken with this. First of all, you mentioned yeah. it uh, a second ago. American car companies were very good at building large SUVs. GM had the Suburban yeah. for years. Uh, everybody has them. Uh, uh, Japanese have done an okay job. Toyota, Nissan, Infinity, they've done an okay job in building these vehicles, but they've never really been able to capture a decent market size. Even things like yeah. the QX80 from in Infinity, which was a really good vehicle, they've just not yes. been able to overtake. You have. So what was the secret to this? It was it was the secret of, of pandering to the market and giving the market exactly what they wanted and not trying to put uh, non-American values on the vehicle? Because when you look at the Telluride, it looks like it, it was an American vehicle. Okay, so I've been trying to figure this out since we launched it back in February. And, and, and here's kind of where my head's at on the whole thing. And again, pulling away the fact that I'm wearing a Kia shirt right now, <laughs> just, just observing the, the industry for, for a long time now and, and watching how certain vehicles catch fire. I remember vividly when I worked for General Motors, by the way, going to the, I think it was the 2016 Detroit Auto Show and seeing Kia launch a concept called the Telluride. And uh, I, there was a lot of buzz about it in the GM area, so I walked over to, to take a look. And I, as I stepped on the stage, I said, wow, this is a Korean Chevy Tahoe. I, yeah. I, just, I just feel that. Now, maybe that won't work well, I don't know, but it just has that kind of stance and, and, and presence. Now jump ahead uh, three years to when the vehicle goes from concept into production. A lot of the uh, conceptual design ideas and cues definitely made it to production, but I think it even became more of a Chevy Tahoe type feel uh, when it when it did come to market. It's and I hate to use the cliche or the uh, phrase over and over again, but it's how we launched the vehicle as big, bold, and boxy. And that 
has a, a resonance in the U.S. market that I think a lot of the other manufacturers had gotten away from. Everybody got very uh, swoopy or, or uh, yeah. futuristic bubbly. or artistic. I right. call it yeah. bubbly. I, I don't bubbly. Like yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yep. And 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 that vehicle and our vehicle kind of eschewed that, pushed against bubbly, and said no. Uh, there's just something about a big, bold box that tells you two things. Number one, it conveys a confidence and a authority to go where you want, but it also conveys that a you know it's going to have a lot of room inside. Right. And so we really maximize the space. How many vehicles, Nick, do you drive that, you know, the, you look at the design, you think, well, okay, it looks cool, but ooh, I wouldn't want to climb in that back seat <laughs> because yes. it's, it's, there's going to be compromises based on the design. The Telluride has no compromises. Right. And I think uh, if I was to pull it all down, that is where uh, it's really resonated and, and become the, the massive hit that it has. And, and I think that you, you probably put the nail on the head there, too, plus all the features, the tech features and all those sort of things. Uh, before we run out of time, tell us uh, what the starting price of the vehicle is. Uh, starting price is just around 40 um, but it, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find one at that price, unfortunately, because, uh, as we said, they're all sold out. But starting at about 40 very well-equipped. Where things get crazy, though, is that fully loaded up, you can't really get um, much over 49 just touching 50 but this is a vehicle that is rivaling product, uh, you know, 70,000 or sorry. Uh, yeah, at least 70 plus. I mean, yeah. you know, probably one of the biggest competitors right now is the Lincoln Aviator and that's 90,000. Right. So we're, right. we're feeling pretty good about that. James Bell from the Kia Motor Company. Congratulations on being our SUV of the year. It's uh, really an honor to bestow that award on you guys and the, and the vehicle speaks for itself. Still to come, the car of the year and the truck of the year. That's all as our auto expert continues. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Catch up with previous episodes of the show. All you have to do is go to our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear the past shows, see automotive videos uh, that I anchor from around the country, around the world, and read insider stories about our next ride or your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. Please visit the website and uh, sign up because you'll get a weekly uh, newsletter that shows you all of the cool pieces that we have done. Uh, so sitting outside in the parking lot right now, I'm just going to lean back a bit, is a Chevy 2500 HD, Chevrolet Silverado 2500 HD, a Duramax. Uh, Jen, you have a 2500. I do. What year is yours? 2005. And this one is 2020. So 15 years change. Yeah. Uh, apart from this is a diesel and yours is not a diesel. No, I don't like diesels. Right. Because I just don't. They're loud. They're obnoxious. And they save you money. Well, I don't care. I don't like them. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. Cause I don't have. like the loudness. I really don't. You know, they're just... So dainty. No. So dainty and ladylike. Chuck yeah, Girl Jen. I know, right? Hashtag Chuck Girl Jen. <laughs> uh, I do. I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's big. Yeah, it you is. You see how, how hard it was getting through the Starbucks drive through today? Yes. That <laughs> was quite did. funny. Poor Nick I had is to do like, a little bit like shimmy shamming. Yeah. Can I get the... Can I shim over here to get my, <laughs> my coffee? It made it through. It <laughs> made it through. Uh, it's funny, though, most of the times, and you guys all know this. I'm sure you've all been through the Starbucks drive through When you go through the Starbucks drive through normally you look up, and they hand things down to your ring. They had to hand things up to See, us this time. <laughs> that's it how like, it is when they, it, yeah, when it, I go through drive throughs it's you hand things down, which is nice. It's different for me right. since I'm so short. <laughs> Do you walk up? What? Do you walk up to the drive through No. <laughs> God. Um, 
So and back to this program. So <laughs> it's uh, it. I will tell you, I'm pretty impressed with a lot of stuff the vehicle uh, has. I mean, it, it's kind of exciting to look through it and to see how well it does. The 2500 has a maximum available trailering of 18,500 pounds, uh, 910 pounds feet of torque. Beast. Uh, I like the front of it. It has Chevrolet written across the front. The 3500 is not necessarily, uh, it's bigger. It actually, that will do a maximum trailing of 35,500 pounds. Uh, it still has 910 pounds feet of torque. Uh, they start around $34,000 for the 2500. How much was ours? 75. Yeah, that's got a lot of extras on it. Yeah. Saying. There's a lot of extras now on our that vehicle. Ours started at 53. Yeah, it's probably the Duramax that it pushes is. that up. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty expensive. Uh, and then it's actually about the same price. It's about $1,000 more for the uh, for the 3500 version. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking online. It actually says it starts at 39895 uh, uh, That's for the 2020 two-door crew cab standard bed. Uh, that's sort of the base model. And then it probably goes up from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, you get the long bed and the blah, 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 and the big dip crew cab and the long bed, that's $40,000, you know. The, and then the you can drive ours at seventy five. The Duramax is, starts at $50,000. So ours has $20,000 worth of options. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard to park. It, and the one thing that makes this vehicle fun to drive is the camera system. It has a surround camera. It, I mean, their their camera system at Chevy is like bar none. You can actually they they have they did all this technology mapping with this vehicle. Where if you have a trailer on the back, it actually maps the trailer, and so it 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 gets rid of the trailer, and so you can actually see behind the vehicle. So it uses the camera in the in the tailgate and the ones in the mirrors to build a picture. Of, uh, of what it looks behind the vehicle. And then they also have the camera option where you can put a camera inside the trailer because normally the trailers right. are $5,000, $10,000. They're not that. They, they, the truck is $70,000 in the case of one that we're towing. But what's inside the trailer is usually hundreds of thousands of dollars. Horses that may be worth $250,000 or a really valuable race car that might be worth $250,000. So what's inside the trailer has always been more important to those people that use trucks for trailering. And now you can see inside the trailer. I want to know if the horse is distressed, if it if something's wrong, if, it, if it's getting tangled. You can see that just pressing the button and you can look inside the trailer. I like that idea too. Um, so just to see that everybody's happy and everybody's fine. Yeah, I think that's... I think with the towing and the camera package, I think it's a lot better. Are you laughing because they're drilling upstairs? Yeah. There's yeah. construction uh, going on. We'll find out who these guys I'm are. I'm afraid we'll they're going to fall through the ceiling. Yeah. But as far as price There's point... There's a spaceship <laughs> landing on the roof. Wow. As far as price point, wow. Yeah. On the ceiling? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about it. the truck. Oh, sorry. The truck. Carry on. We've got 45 seconds. Go. Oh, I think it's really expensive. Do you? My personal opinion. I'm a huge Chevy girl. Huge. Yeah. And I'm not sure about this. You're not sold? No, you I'm not. Do you want to drive it back to the uh, the estate? And no. See? The, you know, the interior really needs an upgrade. Oh, I think I lost, a, I lost a filling. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be a little more luxury inside, I if, think, if for If you're wondering what's going on, they're drilling on the floor above us. I think there's is a bank vault up there. I don't know. All right, still to come, we're going to name our car and our truck of the year. That's coming up as our auto expert continues with the vibrating teeth. <laughs> You're listening to our auto expert.
Well, uh, you, you probably missed it. I'll tell you about it in a second. But first of all, I want to also tell you that on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram, you can start a conversation with it, our auto expert. Uh, if you were just here before the break, you heard that uh, the, they started drilling upstairs. And so I thought my fillings were going to fall out. Jen went up there to fix some things. She hasn't come down, but the drilling has stopped. <laughs> So I just wonder what's going on upstairs. I'll be very, uh, very interested to know. Did you fix it? Yep. Okay. Jen fixed it. Is there? Is everyone okay up there? Yep. Okay. Just checking. Uh, so we've been talking about our car, truck, and SUV of, of the year. Uh, we named our uh, SUV of the year as the Kia Telluride. But now on to talking about our truck of the year. Uh, this was a tough one. There were some good vehicles this year. A new Ranger from Ford, a new 2500 from Chevy and from Ram. Uh, what are you going to say, Jen? That's what I was going to say, the Ram. Yeah. So I really like the 1500. You like the, But that wasn't a contender because it's I not know. new this year. But there was right. a lot of contenders. But the one vehicle to walk away with that is something that has never really been a big truck. You know, you don't think as a truck vehicle. Uh, it has been offered in a truck in the past. But uh, this year... Um, it, it was offered as a truck for the, for the first time in a while. Uh, it has the true capability that the brand has always been known for. And before and it's being a, different, yeah, before, I just, it says just before different. being a truck, before being a, an off-road vehicle, it's a truck. And joining us on the phone is Brandon from Jeep because our winner of the 2020 truck of the year is the Jeep Gladiator. Congratulations, Brandon. Uh, I'm sure it's not the last award you're going to get. Oh, thank you very much uh, to both of you guys. Uh, I think I might be a little biased, but I think you made a great selection, uh, selecting Gladiator as your truck of the year. And, you know, this is just one. Uh, we've been getting a lot of awards with Gladiator, and uh, this is uh, one more to add to our collection. This is, this is probably the most prominent one you'll win all year, just letting you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're so uh, cool. <laughs> um, what, what, do you, what do you think the Gladiator's redeeming factors are? Because, you know, Jeep is always known as an off-road, uh, an off-road brand, an, an SUV brand. Uh, they spend a lot of extra time in making sure their vehicles are tough and ready um, to, to really cope with anything. And, of course, the Wrangler is pretty unbeatable in off-road tundras. Um, but you made this... A, you made this a Jeep before you made it a truck, didn't you? We did. You know, it's, um, you know, we like to say that Gladiator is 100% truck and 100% Jeep. We we took what consumers expect from a Jeep product, the off-road capability, the iconic design, and, of course, the open-air freedom, the ability to take off the doors and take off the top and, of course, fold down the windshield. But we added to it real truck capability, um, so Gladiator can tow a best-in-class 7,650 pounds, and it can also haul a best-in-class 1,700 pounds. Gladiator really can, uh, whether you want to use it for truck things or if you want to uh, take off the doors, take off the top, enjoy some sunshine, or if you want to go tackle some really tough off-road trails. Now, I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but during the launch of Gladiator, I was uh, sitting around with a bunch of executives from Jeep, and I said, you know, this really opens up the, the window for you guys. I mean, you could just box in the back end and put a third row in there and have a three-row Wrangler, basically. And they all looked at me and didn't say a word and looked away. So I'm just I'm just saying, <laughs> if you guys yeah, come I mean, out, I'm, if I'm you also, I'm also not going to say a word. <laughs> I'm looking, looking at the floor right now. I, I will also say... 
If you guys come up with a three-row Wrangler, it better be called the Miles or something. That's Just, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely, yeah. We'll definitely Third have to row of Miles. I, I better get credit for that because, you know, I was just like, <laughs> okay. this is the perfect thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the features with the vehicle. You talked, you, you mentioned some of them and the fact that you can take the windshield down, the doors off, you can have that open-air feeling. Um uh, in the in the Gladiator, but let's talk about some of the other cool things it has because you didn't just you know take a Wrangler and put uh, and, and put a bed on the back. You did a lot of work with this vehicle to do things like put cool Bluetooth speakers in and to put cool storage areas in as well. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on on the inside of Gladiator. You know, you mentioned the industry industry exclusive Bluetooth wireless speaker. Um, which is a very tough speaker. You can submerge it in up to three feet of water for 30 minutes. And want, it also has the electronics industry's highest rating for dust protection. Can you send me? I want you to send me one. I want to do the test on it, see if it works. Sweet. Send, send you one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll send it back. I'm if it sure still I works, can. I'll send it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it back if it works. I just, I, you know, everyone says that all the time. And, and uh, my guys are always like, did you test it? I don't know. I didn't test it. And I was like, hey, can I just borrow that speaker for 30 minutes? I'm just going to submerge it under three feet of water. But I want to test it. I want to see if it's – sorry, I, I digress. You also put in uh, lots of storage space. It's lockable in there behind the rear seats as well. Yeah, you know, one of the things we hear from Wrangler customers is that they never have enough lockable storage, especially for a vehicle you can take off the doors and take off the top. Um, so not only do we have a locking center console and a locking glove box – like on Wrangler, but we also have standard locking storage behind the rear seat, and we also have an available lockable storage bin underneath the rear seat that is completely removable as well. Um, we actually integrated a carrying handle right into the bin, and when you unlock the bin and open up the lid, there are four bolts. You take those four bolts out. We even provide you uh, with a little ratchet and torx bit to take those bolts out, and then you simply grab the handle on that bin and just take it right out of the truck. Now, when we did the launch of the vehicle, uh, when you put on the launch of the vehicle, you invited me to Sacramento area, and we drove into uh, the Tahoe uh, State Park area, I think it's called, and we did some off-roading, and you didn't just make this look like a pretty Jeep, pretty Jeep, pretty Jeep. You made it, you made it act like a pretty Jeep, too, like it can do the whole uh, job. Oh, yeah, it's very tough, very rugged. Um, you know, we say that Gladiator Rubicon is the most off-road capable mid-size truck ever. Um, it's got fucking differentials front and rear, an electronic disconnecting front sway bar, 33-inch tires, our rock track transfer case with a 4-to-1 low range. It's got all sorts of off-road goodies that our Jeep enthusiasts expect on a Jeep product. Um, but then we also added a brand-new uh, forward-facing off-road camera, which we're calling Trail Cam. And I'm sure you got a chance to play with this. And it's very cool. It's actually what it does is it projects right into your radio screen an image of what's in front of the Jeep. So that way when you're out on the trail, you can clearly see any sort of obstacles that might be in your way, whether that be logs or rocks. And superimposed on that camera image are actually two dynamic tire path guidelines. They're going to show you exactly which way uh, you're pointing that vehicle to help you uh, negotiate the obstacle so very cool feature and when that camera lens gets muddy or dirty we actually integrated a washer right into the camera and you simply just push a button in the radio screen 
and it washes off the camera lens. I like it. And so definitely, because I, I you know we all like to get our Jeeps muddy. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, pricing. So where does the Gladiator start? Um, I know you've done some special editions that sold out pretty quickly. And, and how much can you stack this vehicle up? I mean, aftermarket, presumably you can make it a million-dollar vehicle. You can put on whatever you want, one of the most customizable vehicles in the world. But where, where does it come from the factory, and what does it come with? So we've got our base sport model. Um, this is our, our entry-level vehicle, and that starts at 33,545 before destination. And then we've got our Sport S model, which adds uh, power locks, power windows, aluminum wheels, and that starts at 36,745. Uh, next up, we've got our Overland model. This is kind of our premium uh, version of Gladiator. It, it adds 18-inch wheels body color fender flares you can start to add options like leather seats led lighting body color hardtop and overland starts at 40,395 and then our top of the line rubicon at 43,875 so pretty pretty wide range of pricing um, and then of course you can add lots of options to all those trims to um uh to will bring up the price um, and again, you introduced some interesting vehicles at CES recently, uh, three versions of your plug-in uh, Jeeps. Presumably, the Gladiator could go that direction if you wanted to go that way. Um, yeah, it could. It could. Um, you, know, you, know, I, you notice how I frame that not yeah. to get you in any trouble? <laughs> I definitely don't want to get in any trouble, but, you know, we are – we're always working on new stuff, and we've got a lot of really cool, um, exciting things coming for Gladiator. Um, you know, even though we just launched Gladiator, it seems like yesterday, um, we've got a lot of cool new things coming. All right. I mean, also, you know, you have a diesel Wrangler now. I'm just saying. Just saying. We do. We do. And we've already announced that uh, <laughs> starting later this year, you're going to be able to get that same three-liter eco diesel that puts out 442 pound-feet of torque, you're going to be able to get that as an option in Gladiator. All right. Now we're talking. So <laughs> that's, going to be, that's going to be very exciting. I, yeah, no, I, I drove the Jeep Wrangler diesel uh, down in the San Diego Auto Show. I had it down there for a week. I love that thing, by the way. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And I don't know if you knew this, but you probably did. It's the first Wrangler ever to cross the weight barrier that allows it to qualify for agricultural tax relief. So that means that 100% uh, of your vehicle can get tax relief if you buy one for a company under the agricultural laws. I think it's 197 or something. The, the, really? The That's law. good yeah. to know. You know, maybe, maybe there'll be some guy out there who'll, you know, hook up a plow to the back of his Wrangler diesel and... Uh, That'll you know, be Nick. For a little bit of farming, that'd be kind of cool. Be like to well, go back to the to the old CJs. Wait, who needs a tractor? I got myself a diesel Wrangler. That's right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, you know, you can take off the top and take off the doors and get a little bit of sun while you're out at work in the field. I'm thinking about this now. Now, just, just ride with me on this. Could you, uh, presumably you could put a fifth wheel uh, hookup in the bed of that diesel, uh, diesel uh, Gladiator and use it to tow your big fifth wheel. Yeah, um, well, that's definitely a possibility. It'll have enough torque and enough power to be able to do that. I mean, you know, you could do that. Or, uh, I, oh, I'm just thinking here Uh-oh, here goes the wheels. When will we going to see the Jeep Wrangler diesel? Is there, a, and, and, you know, will it be before the end of the year? Um, we're going to 
see the Wrangler diesel insurance pretty soon. Um, definitely um, within the first quarter here in the next okay. couple months. And what about the Gladiator diesel? Uh, we haven't announced specific timing, but at some point this year, uh, later this year, you will see Gladiator diesels uh, on the showroom floor. All right. I'm banking on New York Auto Show, just saying. That's where I put okay. my money. That's where I put my money. Uh, Brandon, well, congratulations again on winning uh, the truck of the year. I think it's well-deserved. And, uh, you know, Jim Morrison and the team over at Jeep do an amazing job. Every single one of you. I'm very proud of you. And uh, I'm, I think that this is a well-deserving, uh, definitely capable truck, but well-deserving of that honor. All right. Well, thank you very much. We uh, really appreciate the award and the honor. Yeah, make sure it's on the top of the stack of rewards that you get. If you take a photograph in the office, I expect it to be on the top shelf. Uh, Brandon from Jeep, thanks for joining <laughs> us. We named our Jeep rang, uh, Jeep uh, Gladiator as our truck of the year. We've also named the Kia Telluride as our SUV of the year. Still to come, we have to name our car of the year. That's all coming up as we continue a recap of uh, what we've been looking at in 2020. Plus, Anton Warman's going to join us on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the cars that we saw at CES and uh, the, the fact that I got to spend some time around James Cameron who directed Avatar and is now directing the next in the sequels of Avatar movies uh, he has also designed a car which was announced at CES as a concept the future of driving all in Avatar style there's that and much more coming up as we continue our auto expert you're listening to the our auto expert podcast Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northeast to the southwest. This is America's Car Radio Show. Now online on mobile, on smart speaker. This is our auto expert. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen. Uh, we have named our car of the uh, truck of the year, which is the, the Gladiator from Jeep. We have named our SUV of the year, which is the Telluride from Kia. And uh, we will be naming our car of the year in this hour of the vehicle. Well sought after. I so I'm not going to blow it, but I gave Jen a demo of one of the features this morning. It's so cool. It's so cool. So yeah. cool. Going to be super excited. I happen to have it in my driveway. I know. So I'm surprised we. Well, I was going to say I'm surprised we didn't drive it here today. Uh, no, because you know my spouse will not drive the truck. <laughs> but he's taller than me. You can yeah. see over the hood. <laughs> So, you know, it's trouble. Well, you can't see over the hood? No, I told you that. No, who, who can see over the hood? You. Do you know that, I don't know, do you know that uh, Jordan said in the break, uh, producer Jordan, he came in and said, by the way, you're both really short compared to me. <laughs> he's yes. He's considerably taller than both of us. Mm-hmm. All right, so CES <laughs> took place uh, where lots of, of futuristic cars, trucks, and SUVs were uh, shown, and some flying gobbledygook things. You know, like Hyundai announced that they were becoming, um, they were moving away from a car company to becoming a transportation company, and they introduced this. I don't know what you even, how you even discuss it. It's it's like a, uh, a, a, a I wanted to call it a helicopter. They call it air taxi. An air taxiing. Um, I want to say it's a flying car, a helicopter. They like to call it an air taxi. It it's they're doing this with Uber. It was a concept, design concept of a flying vehicle, the Uber SA1 air taxi. Um, it looks like a helicopter to me. 
we should be honest with you. I mean, it really, really does look like a helicopter. And, like a and let's be let's be honest. When you have a flying car, a flying helicopter, a flying air taxi, I don't care, whatever you want to call it, you still need a pilot's license. Just to say. You can't, you know, all these people, where's a flying car coming? Oh, you can have a, <laughs> there's flying cars for sale now, but you need a pilot's license. Just saying. Just saying. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks they're going to jump into a flying car and be able to use their driver's license. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah. Uh, it was it's super interesting. The other thing that we saw, of course, was Chrysler had a concept vehicle there. Jeep had um, their plugins, so they had three plugins on on display at the and they and they were interesting because some of them are doing electric motors and some of them are doing tra- uh, assist motors inside transmissions. They have a variety of different technologies, which is kind of cool. Uh, so what is what are two of the very interesting vehicles we saw there? I'll talk about the James Cameron uh, Mercedes uh, AVTR. You can't call it Mercedes Avatar, by the way, because uh, Disney Pixar own uh, the word Avatar. And so the Mercedes had to call it the a- Mercedes AVTR, Vision AVTR concept. Nissan had an Aria concept at the show. This was actually revealed at the Tokyo Motor Show uh, recently. Um, inside gossip about this new Aria is it's the next Rogue. And so if you take a look at it, it just certainly does look like it would fit the mold of a Rogue. It's a very nice-looking Rogue, by the way. Uh, it's electrified SUV. It does some really cool things that I like that just complete uh, what you would want your car to do. It will do navig. So you can use Nissan navigation from door to door. So as you leave your front door, it'll tell you to how to walk to get how to get to the car. It'll plot your route out for traffic, etc., to where you're going. It will find parking for you, and it will plot the route, how to get the last, however far it is, to your destination. Walking, scooters, whatever. Are you going to buy that for so, your dad? No. Oh, let's not even go there. <laughs> My dad needs to quit driving. That's what he needs to do. Uh, anyway, uh, so, you know, it's an interesting vehicle. It really is. The the Aria concept, uh, I like the idea that it can plot from door to door and it can help you get there. It's also, they're using a lot of this technology now where the car knows who you are, whether it be, I know this, Anton's going to talk about this in his segment. Yeah. It's, it, it looks at who you are and then it gets the car ready for you. He you knows Jen's like Jen likes to listen to Metallica, so it'll put Metallica on inside the vehicle. I haven't listened to Metallica. <laughs> I do like Metallica, but I haven't listened to him a long time. Uh, it knows, you know, how high the seat has to be. It knows what the temperature likes, so it likes it at nine. She likes it at ninety degrees with a seat as high as it will go. Exactly. Uh, See, so Nick it, knows. It knows. It knows all of those <laughs> things. Um, and then uh, it, it also knows, like, do you like air blowing on your face? It'll know all those things from what you've chosen in the past. And That's so cool. that as you approach the car, it'll make all those adjustments. I really like you know. the look of it. It does look nice. The headlights get very slim and narrow. Let's talk about this uh, this James Cameron thing. So, of course, he is the creative Titanic of Avatar. He was in, in uh, at the show. And they talked about the future of transportation. And one of the things Mercedes really impressed on me was they want to make their vehicles wholesome. They want to make them wholesome. And they want to think about when they produce a vehicle, what parts are made where in the world and are everybody's human rights taken care of for making those cars? They don't want any slave labor, anybody involved in mining any minerals that are made for the car unless it's ethically mined. They want to think of this wholesome, complete 
process of where stuff comes from to make the cars, which is is nice. It's really they, nice, actually. It costs like a million dollars a piece, but ultimately <laughs> they're doing some great things. Like so, for you know, I could explain the vehicle. I will do in a second, but they're taking plastic out of the ocean waste and m- making it re- recycling it and making it into the interiors of Good. this car. That's a great thing to do. That is amazing. When you get into the ABTR, you sit down, you put your hand on the center console, and it pulses. It reads your pulse. It's a bit spooky, to tell you the truth. It reads your pulse. Right. Then the interior of the car becomes a screen, and you can move it backwards and forwards uh, so you're where you want to go with the vehicle. If you want to choose something from a menu, you hold your palm up inside the car, and it projects a menu onto your palm. And then just by moving your palm around from left to right, you can see different options. If you want to choose the option, you just close your hand. It's really um, weird looking. It, it's what's it's the, very cool. It's the little back thing. The scales. It's all aerodynamics. Would, oh. It's all about aerodynamics. The wheels are actually round. They're ball. They're almost ball shaped. So the vehicle can crab. It can go sideways. It's oh, that's very cool. like. There's some really cool stuff about this. Did you vehicle. get to drive it? No, it's not drivable. It drove itself at some portions in the show. Did it? Uh, James Cameron was very intelligent. It was it was just a great show. The vehicle's great. I love what Mercedes are doing. It makes my heart like make the warm the cockles of my heart to know that they're taking care of me. Yeah. That's all right. Coming up next, we're going to announce our car of the year. That's all. As our auto expert continues. You're listening to our auto expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show. Our website is ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all those past episodes, see our automotive videos, and all the anchoring that I do around the country for different stations. And read inside of car stories on your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. We have named the car and the we've named the sorry the SUV and the truck of the year. Now is the car of the year. So what did we choose? Well, I got to demo this car a little bit. I have it in my driveway right now. Mm-hmm. I got to demo this vehicle a little bit um, to Jen. And uh, one of the things that it does, Jen, which is pretty outstanding, is you can start it, which many cars you can start, but you mm-hmm. can also pull it 30 feet out of the garage or out of a parking space or drive it back in from out being in the car. You don't have to be in the car. You can do it right from the key fob. That's perfect when those people park right next to your brand new vehicle. I am. You you no know, door dings. That's right. No door dings. Uh, plus, you can do a whole bunch of other stuff with it. But 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 why should I tell you all about it when uh, when Michael Evenoff is on the phone with us from uh, Hyundai to talk about the new Sonata? Well, first of all, congratulations, uh, Michael, on Hyundai being cho- uh, chosen as our vehicle of the year with the Sonata uh, for for this year around. Uh, it's it's a pretty impressive vehicle from top to bottom. It is. Yeah, well, thank you very much. We really appreciate that award. Um, and we're, yeah, very excited to be bringing uh, the seventh generation all new Sonata to market. Just went on sale uh, last month. And I think we definitely have, you know, a lot to talk about. In the midsize segment, midsize, you know, cars in general struggling a little bit against the SUVs out there, but we really wanted to put our best foot forward and really make a statement with the uh, all new 2020 Sonata. I think I, I try to tell this to people all the time, uh, Michael, that, that they. The segment of cars, sedans, is still pretty strong. I mean, it makes up about a third of vehicles sold in the United States still, and there's still a lot of people buying them out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the compact segment and the mid-size car segment, they're still in the top five 
you know, close to a million, 1.5 million units uh, each. Um, midsize a little bit less, but you know, it's still there are there are people out there who currently drive sedans, and that's basically what they want. They, maybe they don't want the higher you know seating position, but they just generally like the the performance, the economy, and the feel that a sedan can provide. I've always uh, always had a fleet of SUVs at my house, but I actually enjoy driving the sedan portion of, of the cars much more. Uh, when you designed the, the new Sonata, what were some of the things that you wanted to bear in mind as a company? What were some of the, the goals that you wanted to have? Well, I think, first of all, we really wanted to make it stand out uh, from a styling standpoint. Um, we understand the challenge with SUVs and how you know popular they are, but so we wanted to push the edge. Uh, a little bit more with the with the traditional three box sedan styling, um, so the the new car is longer, lower, and wider. And anytime you do that to a vehicle, you know proportion is so key, and you know that'll always make a vehicle look better. Um, you know you're a little limited with an SUV what you can do from a styling perspective, but I think sedan gives you a little bit more. Um, the new Sonata is very much almost like a coupe esque you know silhouette, a very fast roof line. Uh, interior is very open, very inviting, you know, a lot of room. Um, so we really wanted to push that, you know, design envelope, um, you know, with the new Sonata. I think one of the things I said, I went to the launch um, of this vehicle. I think one of the things that I said during the launch of the vehicle, I'm not sure that many people agree to me, but it actually gives me this feeling of a common gear. So when you look at the hood and you look at the trunk, it has that sloped hood, but it looks like you just, you just cut it off before it went all the way down to the bumper and gave it this really nice looking grill. So it has that sort of German sports car feel to it somewhat. And Jen's nodding her head. I think she was the she saw it for the first time today. It does it does have this sort of romantic feel about the car. It does. I really really like the design. Yeah, compared so I, to past biggest, models. Yeah, and and the biggest key with that was the engineers and the designers working together early in the program. Um, you talk about that sloping hood. That's not always, you know, designers love to do that kind of thing. But then once it gets switched over to the engineering side, they're like, no, these hard points, this is fixed, and shock towers, and, you know, there's all sorts of ways they can say it can't be done. Um, but they worked together in collaboration, and that sloping hood was a lot of work um, to do that. And you'll notice the hood goes all the way to the grill. There's no partition, you know, where the front bumper or fascia is. I think the only manufacturer from a vehicle standpoint does that is uh, Aston Martin. So now you'll always see these sedans with this cut line in the hood, um, and the designers and engineers work together to make it, you know, no compromises, you know, truly what they wanted to, to get across in the, in the styling of Sonata. Uh, the other thing I think that you you did, which was super interesting, and the car actually you can see it much better at night than you can in the day, yeah. is the chrome line. First of all, there's chrome strips up between the fender and the hood itself, which is unusual in a sense. I don't think I can recall anybody ever doing those chrome strips between the fender and the hood. But at the same time, the strips actually about a third of the way up the hood light up, so you get this interesting almost check mark up the hood. Yeah, so it's a very unique um, lighting signature, and once again, the designers and engineers work together. The chrome strip on the hood, and then you know that area has kind of been um, um, a hallmark for Sonata, but they really pushed it with this new generation, um, and it you know follows all the way around the daylight opening, which we call where the, you know the side windows are. Uh, Sangyup Lee, who's one of our head designers uh, at, in, in Korea calls that his dynamic lasso and so it is like when you look at it from the side it's and it just kind of it's just you know cascades all the way into the um into the to the edge of the hood and into the headlight assembly and yeah those that that bar that chrome strip is actually laser etched 
and, you know, millions of little holes, and they kind of control how the light, so it actually, if you look closely, it just kind of dissipates as it goes up the hood. So it's not just a hard break. It just kind of fades away and just really adds to, uh, like you said, especially at night, um, you know, the signature that, that is that Sonata. The other thing about the, the vehicle, and this is not the other thing, one of the other things is what we talked about at the beginning of the show, is the fact that you put in this, uh, we've seen it in Teslas and we've seen it in, in, in BMWs and Audis, they, they call it a summons in some vehicles, it works slightly mm-hmm. differently, but you, you have this ability to drive the vehicle when you're not actually in it. Right, so it's remote smart parking assist and it's controlled from the, um, from the key fob itself. Uh, the push button proximity key fob, uh, and as you said, you can be you know outside the car. You can start the car with the key fob, and then we like to refer it as like walking the dog because that's kind of what it feels like. Because you push the back the back button or the forward button, and the car just kind of you know if all conditions are met, the car will just move with you very slow. And the minute you take your you know you take pressure off the button, it stops right away. Um, but you can kind of like walk the car out of the parking spot or in. And once again, as CUVs are getting bigger and parking spots seem to be getting smaller and you know more urban you know areas and everything, it's just uh, another handy feature uh, to allow you to back in or you know pull out the um, out the Sonata for you. Uh, again, more features includes the uh, the fact that you can use your phone as a key. Yep. So Hyundai Digital Key, uh, our connected car team worked really hard here in the states and uh, with Korea. Uh, it's both um, near, near field communication NFC or also Bluetooth Low Energy or BLE. Um, so yeah, so you still get you know you still get your two two normal keys, um, but you can download an app and basically you can use your phone to access the car in, you know in or out, and then once you put it in the wireless charger, you can start it. So you can leave the house without your keys or in the pinch. If you've lost your keys or can't find them, um, you can always use your phone. You can also send a digital key to like a family member or a friend and give them access to the vehicle to start the vehicle on your own terms. And you can take it away. You know, if my daughter's not behaving, I can take it away from her if I want. Um, so you can share the, you know, that digital key uh, with someone, you know, that you want to provide them you know, access to the vehicle as well. That's my favorite, by the way, yeah. is to being able yeah. to take it away. I have I have someone that constantly <laughs> asks to borrow my my car constantly mm-hmm. like not me by the and way and occasionally they're saying oh we'll bring it back at six o'clock tonight and then, and then you know like eight o'clock i'm calling hey when you bring the car back well you know what i'll just turn it off and then they have to call me there you go That's I, i'm impressed with the blind spot blind spot view monitoring yeah that so this amazing. came out of the palisade right so yeah so actually um nexo i think was the first our fuel cells suv was the first one to have it palisade has it um, and now uh, Sonata has it. It's built into the 12.3-inch instrument cluster. Um, we still have traditional blind spot detection with, the, you know, the icons and the and the outside rearview mirrors. Right. But this, in addition, will show you a live video image, either the left side or the right side, when you activate the turn signal um, to give you even more, you know, to not have to turn your head a little bit, just, you know, give you more information, um, you know, right there in front of you. Uh, Michael, congratulations on being the 2020 car of the year for us. The uh, the Hyundai Sonata wins that prize, and well-deserved it is as well. When we come back, we're going to talk more about CES and some of the vehicles that we saw. Uh, Anton Wallman's going to join us to talk about the future and Super Bowl ads coming up. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast.
Welcome back to our auto experts. We'll catch up with previous episodes of the show on our website at ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all the past shows and see our automotive videos. Read insider car stories about your next ride. You'll find them all at ourautoexpert.com. You can find this man on the street or seeking alpha. His name is Anton Wallman. He is an independent analyst and investor, and he joins us on the phone to talk about some of the things around CES. Uh, Anton, CES, was it? A, a hit, a miss, or just a wah, wah, wah? Well, I mean, I think there was a little bit for everybody. I think in general, the feeling is that people have gotten tired of two futuristic sets of concepts and would like to see more things that are attainable and realistic in the not-so-distant future, and that those developments aren't just going in one direction uh, into the willy-nilly of uh, a future that people may not be so interested in, but actually uh, proving to be uh, improvements to the automobiles that people would consider buying in the future. And I think that that uh, makes for uh, some concepts being better than others. But uh, there was uh, there was a pretty good mix of realistic stuff, and there was there were also those who were profoundly unrealistic and or talk about going in a future where I'm not convinced that the consumer is uh, ready to go. I do harken back to an interview I did with Andy Palmer, who is now at Aston Martin, but when Andy was at Nissan, this was in 2015, when he told us Nissan would have a full autonomous car on the streets by 2017. Clearly that didn't happen. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I can also harken you back to uh, the now uh, much more famous Carlos Ghosn, who said back in 2011-2012 that... Uh, a capacity of 450,000 units per year to make the Nissan Leaf uh, by 2013-2014 would simply not be enough. So uh, we have all of these predictions that were made regarding autonomous cars, regarding electric cars, and uh, I think also a few other uh, technology vectors that proved to be positively not true whatsoever, certainly not in the time frame that people were talking about uh, just uh, less than a decade ago. Uh, the one so apart from the LG Krupp style ice cream maker, what was the most impressive thing that you saw at CES? Well, I mean, I would have to say that when you're going to marry some technology which we know is coming to some degree or another, that I think people will generally like, depending on the cost. Personally, I felt that the plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler may be the single most interesting one. If you consider the types of plug-in hybrids that we have seen come to market in recent years, they have been really focused on one end of the automotive spectrum. And I think that in the most extreme opposite corner, perhaps, of the automotive spectrum is the Jeep Wrangler. If that is a vehicle that can be partially electrified so that simple around-town driving and maybe some off-roading can get done in purely electric mode, and then you still have the gasoline engine take you longer distances, that may be a little bit of uh, the best of both worlds. I think that you've talked about uh, in the past, wondering why Jeep hadn't revealed anything, but they did show the vehicles on the stand, but we didn't really learn much more about them, did we? No, we did not. They had shown the Compass and the Renegade before, but only in Europe. And those will, of course, be made in Italy starting here in about two to three months from now. And the Jeep Wrangler will start production here in the U.S. and Toledo, Ohio, around the same time frame. 
And uh, the company basically said that all the technical details, in particular with respect to the Wrangler, will be provided a little bit closer to launch, probably starting in a, uh, in March at the earliest. And at that point, we will learn more about uh, all the specifications and how the all-wheel drive systems have been implemented right. in these uh, promising Jeep vehicles. I do know that because uh, the Renegade shares some platforms with a Fiat 500X, it's pretty obvious that that will probably be coming in a plug-in hybrid as well. But we have to hold our breath for that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about driverless cars, GM and their Super Bowl ad, plus some developments with Tesla in Europe. That's all coming up as our Auto Expert continues. You're listening to our Auto Expert. All right, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Start a conversation with us. It's all our Auto Expert. On the phone with us, Anton Wong. He is an independent analyst and investor. You can read a majority of his stuff at the street, sinkingalpha.com. Anton, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, automakers like GM. Now, they are saying they will buy a Super Bowl spot for a vehicle, which I thought we'd never see, but they say it's called the new GMC Hummer. That's right. That seems to be the new... Uh, direction in which GM is going, instead of launching Hummer as a completely standalone brand, it sounds like they're going to make it into a really a GMC nameplate and uh, drive them out through the GMC dealers, which really makes perfect sense when you think about it. I mean, at the end of the day, even a trim level, the Denali trim level, which GMC is now liberally applying to every single existing nameplate that they have, has become so large that you often hear people standing in the grocery store line or whatever referring to their GMC as a Denali when it is, of course, just a Sierra Denali or a Yukon Denali or whatever other Denali it may be. And I think that it will work the same way with a GMC Hummer as well, whether it's all electric or not. I think it's a really smart move by GM if they do indeed execute on this plan. And uh, I think they had uh, a concept for this first new vehicle in mind for a while, and we may already have seen it had it not been for the strike that took place uh, for GM in the fall. But I think it looks like we uh, were on the cusp of, of seeing it on a very large, indeed the, the single largest national stage here. Now, I, let's talk a little bit about GM and how they're doing as a brand. Uh, a bit of a hiccup with the Silverado this year. Um, they came back. There was a lot of discussion about whether the interior was up to par, and they have promised to renew that interior. They they bill themselves as one of the most awarded car companies, uh, and they also bill themselves as a, a, a vehicle company who has one of the most durable uh, SUV lines uh, that sells really well. But they have not done so well with their trucks because they were consistently number two in the United States, and that, that position slipped. It was F-150, then the Silverado, and then the Ram 1500. But Ram seemed to have managed to close that gap. Well, so here's what's going on. If you take both the mid-sized trucks and the full-sized trucks combined, even for full-year calendar 2019, GM was still larger than Ford. But it is true that they did lose some share for the full-sized trucks. And we know some of the reasons why. One of the reasons is the interior 
uh, styling is simply not anywhere close to where Ram is at this point, which is the market leader. Even the Ford F-150, which is a little older, I still think surpasses GM in that regard. And I also think that the exterior styling, while I personally don't really mind it, I think most people uh, really were not enthused with the new model as it came out a couple of years ago. And uh, they just haven't made any changes to that either. And then you add on top of all of that, the strike that we had here in the fall, which really reduced GM's ability to supply sufficient quantities in the fourth quarter. So under all of these circumstances, I think GM did almost okay, but it certainly leaves room for further improvement on a couple of these key fronts. And uh, let's hope that we see uh, signs of that here in the new year as to how GM is going to claw itself back here and do even better, probably realistically not until 2021 and beyond. Uh, let's talk about uh, European car sales, especially electric car registrations. Now, Tesla sales plummeted in January compared to December, where all models uh, have gone from zero to the top of the charts, for example. The uh, the Seat M2 and the DS3, along with Peugeot's 208. So a bit of a topsy-turvy chart as far as sales are concerned, or at least registrations with electric cars in Europe. Yes, Nick. So what's going on here is that the European... Um, sort of fleet-wide mandate to lower CO2 emissions, which effectively implies that they have to sell a lot more electric cars, uh, approximately 1.3 million units in calendar year 2020, for example. As that took into effect here on January 1st, just barely a week and a half ago, we've already seen a major shift in the European sales charts. The one automaker of any decent size that did not um, have any such mandate to which they had to adhere uh, because they don't sell internal combustion vehicles, namely Tesla. They sold an enormous amount of quantity of Model 3 cars in the uh, fourth quarter here before this rule took into effect. And one of the reasons why that happened was that all the automakers were holding back on supplying uh, electric cars to the market until after January 1st. Under the new quotas, selling an electric car in Europe for any of these other automakers is worth about 20,000 euros apiece in terms of the credits they get get from them. That's equivalent to about $22,000. So now what we're seeing in the first uh, 10 or so days of the new calendar year is the emergence of all of these new models that we never saw in 2019, like the DS3, which is a luxury brand from French Citroën, uh, the other uh, Citroën Citgo as well. You would see the the Seat uh, uh, Mark II, which is selling very well in, in the Mediterranean countries. So all of these new models suddenly come into the market and they are taking away a very large chunk of the electric market share in Europe. So the the entire competitive um, market space in Europe is changing so dramatically here in early 2020 that uh, it will look absolutely nothing like what it did in 2019. Uh, Let's turn a little more focus into the Netherlands because their sales, and of course all of these countries uh, signify what may be happening uh, on stateside or at least have an impression on some of the sales in stateside. In the Netherlands, uh, BEV registration has gone to near zero in favor of PHEVs, the partial electrics, taking about 99% of electrified market in the first nine days of 2020. Also, those sort of plain brands like uh, especially Toyota and those type of things uh, they they have seemed to have taken over. Uh, is this just a blip in the landscape for 2020, or is this the state of things to come? 
No, it will. Uh, this trend will um, continue for quite a while here, uh, and the reason for this is that there was a change in the uh, tax, tax legislation in the Netherlands uh, that essentially the, the shift took place at the end of the year, where they reduced the tax incentive to to get a pure electric cars. So all the leasing companies in the Netherlands, and 60% of that market are corporate leasing. Uh, they basically decided to take delivery and register those cars in the names of those leasing companies before January 1st, tens of thousands of units of all electric cars. And then they will in turn try to lease these cars out to the general public over the many, many more months, arguably even years to come, where they can still claim that tax credit that expired at the end of 2019. And after January 1st, then what happened is that the sales of plug-in hybrids and regular non-plug-in hybrids really took over uh, the uh, the market in, in the Netherlands. And, of course, Toyota is the king of the non-plug-in hybrid, and most of the other German and European cars make a, a fantastic portfolio of plug-in electric vehicles. So those are the ones that uh, have so far in January dominated the sales charge there. And I think that will continue for the vast majority of this calendar year. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, as far as the United States are concerned. What's the future? Do you think of electrics here? Because even though Europe is is very strong on the electrics, the U.S. government doesn't seem to be in favor. And we're seeing some vehicles, some companies now launching electric vehicles that really do about a third of, uh, for instance, Mini is just about to launch its electric, and that electric will do 110 miles. It's not supposed to be a primary car. It's supposed to be a, a city car for people who need a second vehicle, uh, whereas you've got things like the Ford Mark E that'll do 300 miles. So we seem to be all over the map. That's right. So in the U.S., of course, it's divided into two regulatory regimes, the nationwide one, which doesn't really call for any specific electrification, and then the zero-emissions vehicle state led by California that require an increasing uh, quota of all electric cars to be deployed between now and 2025. So the automakers, because they lose money on every single electric car that is sold, will make available and sell the precise minimal number they need to meet these uh, minimum quotas in in the ZEV-compliant states, California and, and a dozen other states. And in the meantime, of course, they're having trouble filling the quotas in Europe and to a lesser extent in China. So they are they are essentially diverging. Um, they're 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 diverting the number of units that will be available on a global basis to those market as a priority. And we saw that a few weeks ago when Mercedes announced that the EQC, their first all-electric SUV that is built as an EV from the ground up, uh, was, was really going to be delayed in the U.S. market by about a year. And they will focus their sales of that vehicle first in the U.S., first in Europe, and then in China, because they simply can only make so many, and they have to sell them all in those geographies, because the penalties if they don't supply and sell them there are tremendous. So over 20 thousand euros per vehicle is the de facto cost of failing to meet those mandates so that's how they're uh, um, allocating their their production capacity uh, here for uh, the year 2020 Audi seems to be on a ride with uh, the Q4 e-tron being shown for the first time in the U.S. Now that price will come down to around $50,000 which is probably about the lowest price we've seen from Audi as far as electric car is concerned that's right. So, so far, Audi has been selling the regular e-tron, which is just called e-tron, period. Uh, that car, uh, of course, beat out both the Tesla Model X 
and the Tesla Model S uh, in the sales charts in Europe for 2019. Of course, they didn't do that in the United States, where, where of course, Tesla has its home market. But if you look in Europe, the Audi, Audi actually outsold both the Tesla Model S and X combined in calendar 2019. And we're seeing here, uh, coming around in the spring in Europe, the uh, e-tron Sportback, uh, as well as the, the, the same vehicles being available in the U.S. starting in the third quarter. But then the lower-cost platform, the one that has less power and is a little bit smaller on the outside, but not an appreciably uh, huge difference for the interior space, where the production of that vehicle starts in November probably arrives in the U.S. at the earliest in spring of 2021. But that one will be severely cost-reduced and will cost uh, no more than $50,000 here in the U.S. before tax incentives. And keep in mind that Audi will still be benefiting uh, at least for the next year or two from the $7,500 federal tax credit uh, that a couple of these other companies, such as uh, Tesla and GM, essentially have exhausted at this point. So they don't get that credit anymore. And that'll give uh, Audi a strong competitive advantage in terms of uh, selling their electric cars in the U.S. In the United States, who's going to be the next brand or the next few brands to go on sale here, the next few brands to announce electrics? Well, frankly, 2020 will still be the year in which Tesla leads in the United States because they're going to come online with a Model Y, and it will come to market, it looks like right now, a few months before some of the major competitive entries from Volkswagen and Audi and Volvo slash Polestar and a few others. So I still think that the U.S. market uh, will be led by Tesla in calendar year 2020, although uh, toward the very end of 2020, I think you'll see the competitive entries start to kick in and and that, that advantage will be a bit reduced. But if you look at the first two, maybe the first three quarters of 2020, I think Tesla will certainly lead there. The problem Tesla has in the U.S. market of course, is that by making the Model Y available, it's essentially the same buyer that would have bought the Model 3. And as a result, their Model 3 sales will clearly suffer in 2020 compared to 2019. Anton Wallman, you can read the majority of his stuff at The Street and Seeking Alpha. He's always a wealth of information and knowledge. And we're a wealth of information and knowledge. You can hear previous shows by going to ourautoexpert.com where you can download the podcasts, see the videos, and also read the latest automotive stories. We'll be back again next week with a fun-packed show. You've been listening to Our Auto Expert with Nick Mile. Find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com. Please follow us on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Our Auto Expert. And message us for a quick and witty response. 